All right. Well, how about that good news from Danny and Pastor Gus? Huh? I tell you what, working closely with those two men and, and so many others behind the scenes, I'm so moved by their dedication to Jesus, by their godly character. As Danny leads our elder board, as Pastor Gus leads the church staff and community, those are some amazing men. And we are so excited to welcome Pastor Josh here. He'll be standing right here delivering the word as we partner for the future of this church together. Let's, let's look forward to that together one more time. I can't wait. You know, recently, church, I, uh, I went to what I would call Bible nerd heaven. And uh, what I mean by that is I went to a local coffee shop, and I got a big cappuccino, so that was awesome. I was looking forward to that. I set it on the table, and then I, I had this with me. So this isn't just a normal Bible. This is my ESV study Bible. This thing, you can see how big it is. It's like a five-pounder. It's got all kinds of good notes in here. So I had this thing open with my cappuccino ready to go. But not only that, I had my commentary on the book of Leviticus. So this is like serious Bible time, right? I'm ready to go. I had a couple interactions with the waiter, very friendly. And then he goes, man, that book is huge. And I was kind of confused by the, I was like, yeah, yeah it is. And, and he goes, so what is it? And then I went, oh, oh, this is a Bible. It's, it's you know, it tells the story of God and I'm, I'm studying it right now. He goes, oh, that's cool, man. I went to a Christian school and stuff. So yeah. And I'm, now I'm really confused. I'm like, did they have Bibles at the Christian school? Like, I don't understand. But, you know, we had a conversation about life and faith, and it was, it was this great interaction. Okay, that's, that's great. I continued with my studies. About a half hour later, the girl two tables over, you know, she makes this comment. She goes, hey, what book are you reading? And I'm, again, I'm in Bible nerd zone, so I'm like, there's 66 books in here, and she's curious which one I'm reading. So I, I say, oh, you know, I'm actually in Leviticus, and I'm using a commentary as well. And it was like I had answered her in German. I mean, she had no idea. Like, she looked back at me and she goes, what's that? Is that, is that like for English class or, or something? And, and I said, no, no, sorry. Leviticus, it's a book in the Old Testament of the Bible. You know, it's these ancient laws and regulations, but they teach us something about the heart of God. Again, we had a little conversation and then moved on with our day. Now, why did I tell you that story? Well, a couple of reasons. First of all, apparently I missed the memo that we're now in a post-Christian society where you can sit down with a five-pound, 1,500-page book, leather-bound, gold-trimmed pages, and people don't know what it is. They think you've got like the special edition Harry Potter or something. I mean, no idea. So that was really interesting. But secondly, here's the more important lesson that connects us to today's passage in Acts chapter 5. You know, I was in my zone. Like, I had been looking forward to this. I, I had a quiet space, and I was studying God's Word. And, and so I didn't, wasn't super keen on interruptions or conversations. And so I was open with my faith. I talked about God. I talked about the Bible. All that is great. But you know what? I missed it, honestly, because I didn't clearly and boldly proclaim the gospel and say, yeah, you know, this is a Bible. That, this is a Bible. It's got 66 books. All of them point to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And you know what? I was broken inside, but he's turned that around, made me a child of God, and he can do that for anybody. Have you ever heard that story before? And how much more clear and bold than to just stay on in a general sense? So, you know, where I didn't quite hit the ball out of the park the other day in that opportunity. We're going to look at a scripture where the apostles did much better than I did, and they set the bar high, and it's an inspiration to us. So, you know, we're continuing with our series in the book of Acts today. And if you've been with us over the last several weeks, you've heard about the early growth of the church in Jerusalem. We've been hearing these sermons, and I would summarize this, what we've heard so far, as three Ps for the growth of the church. The first of those is the power of God. 
After Jesus ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit, and we see that power of God in the life of the church, just as he's with us today. It's amazing. We also see the proclamation of the gospel, and we love that. We love both of those. We want the power of God. We want the gospel to be proclaimed. But the third P is persecution, and that one's a little more uncomfortable, but for some reason, in the mystery of God, those three Ps work together in the growth of the church, and that has been a consistent story. And so today's scripture, we're going to see that at work. And so as I read this, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? And uh, I hope you have on more comfortable shoes today, because this is a big one, so you're going to be standing for a minute. This is Acts 5, 12, verse 12 through the end of the chapter. And what you'll hear, first of all, is a, a paragraph where Luke is giving us a summary. It's like a progress report or a status report on the life of the church. And then he's going to jump into the main story in Acts chapter 5. And it's, it's a great story that we're going to listen to together. So let's let God's word speak to us, and then we'll move forward from there. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But... The high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and all the, those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. 
After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, you are the Christ. We confess that this morning, and I thank you for this story of how your church grew and your apostles proclaimed your truth even in the face of opposition. And I pray, Jesus, that you would give us that same boldness and clarity and conviction as we live our lives individually and as a church community here at Northland. We're calling out to you, Lord Jesus, be with us in the teaching and preaching of your word and as we live our lives as your saints. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And you can be seated. Thank you. So now we're going to stop here and explore this passage together. There was a lot there. It's entertaining. It's powerful stuff. So there's something in biblical studies. You may see this word occasionally if you're doing some Bible study type stuff. It's called pericope. It looks like periscope without the S. It's kind of fun to say, pericope, pericope. And what that means is it's a story unit. Again, we just got one of these. It has a beginning, it has an end, it has a plot. And what's really fascinating about a unit of story, a narrative structure like this, is that the first thing you want to do is observe it. You want to let it speak in its own, in its own value as the Holy Spirit has inspired it. You can think about like a favorite movie you might have. Your favorite movie in the world, you've probably seen it more than once. And you see it the first time, and it's really good. You love the story. It's powerful. It speaks to you. It's entertaining. And then you go back a week later, a month later, and you watch it again. And then you go, oh, my goodness, I never, I never connected that before. I never saw that in the early parts of the story. And it starts to come to life, and you really understand it more. And just like that's true with your favorite movie, it's true in Scripture. So we've got this big story we just read. We kind of have an idea of it. We just heard it together. But we really want to observe it and say, what does this really say? So, uh, you know, just like watching a movie again, now I'm going to read this three more times so we can soak it. And I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Uh, (laughs) And then we'll all go home after that. No. Um, But I've got five observations on Acts chapter five. You know, in in spending time with this, I got 20 or 30 of these observations, but I picked my top five that I think will give us a grasp and a picture of the text. And then we'll take a couple of lessons that we'll go home with today. So observation number one, and I hope you like this one. God uses tired people. Can I get an amen to that? So how would you feel? Put yourself in the the shoes of the apostles when you preach. You know, public speaking is not easy, so you preach, you lay it all out there, but then you get arrested and you're thrown into prison and then here comes the angel. We got a miracle. This is awesome, but it's the middle of the night, remember. So the angel sets you free. You're excited, but you're also like, oh man, does anybody have some coffee? Like, I'm wiped out. And then the angel says, Hey, go find a hotel and sleep for a couple days. No, the angel says, hey, go preach at daybreak. And you're going, wow. 
Now, I'm so thankful when Pastor Gus gives me the invitation to preach. He gives me a month or two of preparation. He's never called me at 3 a.m. on a Saturday and said, hey, can you cover this weekend? So thank you, Pastor Gus, for the time to prepare a message because you guys wouldn't want to hear the one that's prepared the same day of. Now, um, God uses tired people. Is anybody tired this morning? I know my wife, Megan. Yeah, she's on like her third cup of coffee. I know some of you are on number four, number five. Hey, that's all right. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. I had my tired moment as a parent. You know what that's like. You know, last night I I preached the five o'clock service. I went home. We did bedtime with the kids. My wife and I had some food. We were catching up. And so at this point, all right, ready to go to sleep. And uh, that's about that time, our, our daughter Callie, she's two years old, she comes out stark naked as the day she was born from her room. And she's holding her pajamas over here and her diaper over here. And she says, Callie pants, uh-oh. And I'm like, yeah, Callie pants, uh-oh. okay, we're going to fix this up. Let's, let's get you going, get you back in bed. And so that, I mean, I am tired. And I know that you know what that's like. And the point in our story here today is that it's not how tired you are, church family, it's how willing to be used by God you are. And that may be true in faithfulness and parenting, but that's true in so many other areas of life. When you see a friend in need and you're like, it's 9.30 p.m., I'm wiped out, I know I need to get on the phone and encourage my brother, my sister in Christ. You're serving faithfully and you go, "I'm, I'm, I'm pretty exhausted, I don't know if I can do it, I don't know if I can keep it up, but God is with us as we step into faithfulness and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be used by the Lord. So that's observation number one. Observation number two, God works behind the scenes, even through unbelieving politicians. We see so much craziness in the world today, even overnight. You're probably reading the news this morning. We see this, and and so many political leaders acting against the interest of, of what the Word of God teaches, and yet... God is at work to protect and build his church in surprising ways all along the way. I want to give us a little bit more about Gamaliel. Who is this guy who gave this speech that turned the tide of this story today? You know, it was specifically the high priest and the Sadducees, his party, that performed this arrest of the apostles. And something that's true in politics, right, is... Today we have this two-party system, Republicans and Democrats, and I can guarantee, because you've seen it, I've seen it, when one party does anything, whether it's right or wrong, you know the other party is going to call out the flaw in the plan, is going to hold it accountable, is going to say what's wrong and present some alternatives. That's how it works. It's a team sport. It's a contact sport. Well, the Sadducees were the ruling party. They had the power. They also had the wealth. They had cozied up to the empire. They were speaking Greek. They were less religiously devoted. Than, than most of their brethren, and sometimes they were viewed with mistrust, but they had these positions of prestige and control. The Pharisees, by contrast, were a minority party at the time, but they were very devoted to their Jewish faith, very committed to the Torah. And of course, we see in the life of Jesus how he calls out, in many ways, how they had taken that devotion in the wrong direction, but they had the respect of the people because they were trying to seek after God. And so they're a minority party, but respected, and Gamaliel was their leader. So here's the context, right? The Sadducees do this arrest, and then they're ready to put these guys to death. And then who is it? It's the opposition party. Gamaliel stands up and says, wait a minute, guys. Before you do this, I want to present the alternative case. And he was able to turn the tide. And God was at work through a politician that did not follow the Lord to turn the tide and protect his church. Which leads us into observation number three. 
This incident that we just read about could have easily snuffed out the life of the early church, and yet God protected them. You know, if we did a little quiz around the room to say who was arrested, right, who was in prison in this story, the first time I read this story, the picture in my mind is Peter and John, right? Peter and John are in prison. Well, that's actually the previous imprisonment story in the book of Acts, and so we kind of get mixed up sometimes. This one, it says the apostles. So we don't actually have specificity on how many it was. Could it have been all 12 of them? Absolutely. Maybe it was six, maybe it was 10, maybe it was 12. We know Peter was there. We know there were more of them. So imagine a scenario where they had been put to death. Peter, a handful of the rest of them, it could have crippled the growth of the church in this early phase of its development, and yet God protected them in the same way that we see him protecting and supporting the church even today here at Northland and beyond. Observation number four, Jesus prepares us for trials. Imagine being there. Again, imagine living this story out. You've You're one of the apostles. You've been imprisoned after preaching. You don't know that an angel's coming for you. You're just sitting in a jail cell and you're going, man, did we mess up? Like, should we have been so public with our faith? Maybe we were doing this the wrong way. And then then one of your brothers in Christ says, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Remember a couple of years ago what Jesus said? Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Imagine how much comfort that would give, and you go, oh yeah, that's right. I remember when Jesus said that. We're on the right track. So Jesus warned us, and just like he warned the apostles, we have the same words from Jesus to warn us today. We may face opposition, and that's not to knock us off course. That's to stay faithful and rejoice when that happens for us. Now, observation number five, and this is going to take us into our couple of lessons that we can go home with today, which is this. Proclaiming the gospel is central. Proclaiming the gospel is central. So remember that word pericope. It means story unit. Whenever we're looking at a unit of story in Scripture, we believe that the Holy Spirit has given it to us in that form. Luke wrote this down. The Holy Spirit inspired him to do that. And there's a fundamental structure to a story. So we're going to put this on the screen. How do stories work? Whether it's your favorite movie, whether it's a novel, whether it's one of these units of story, like in Acts chapter 5, there's rising tension. There's a plot developing. You meet the characters, and then you eventually get to a, a climactic moment. Like, what's going to happen to the good guys? How's the story going to end? And then you have resolution or lessons. And the key learning point in a story that we're to take away is right there at the climax and the resolution, and everything else is building to the context. So again, that's what Luke has given us, inspired by the Lord. And so that's where the key lesson is. We don't want to get distracted by details. So again, if you were to read this story and say, what stands out? You go, man, the angels, that's so cool. That's the story you tell your grandkids. You get in prison, an angel sets you free, so maybe that's the climax of the story, right? And, and I could preach a whole sermon about deliverance from, from stuff with, and, and angels and what are angels like, but what's interesting is that's actually just part of the rising tension in the plot that Luke has given us. So what I want to do is pretend that we are the producers of an episode of a show that's going to be made, right? What if we were making a 30, 60-minute special on Acts chapter 5? That would be really, it's a great story. I can't wait to see that. You know, maybe when they finish The Chosen on the life of Jesus, maybe they'll do the book of Acts. Maybe we'll all get to watch this in a year or two. That would be very entertaining. 
But let's take a look at what the scenes might be and where they build. So scene one in Acts chapter five is the gospel is being proclaimed. The church is growing. People are coming to Jesus. And then we get a problem. There's jealousy from the high priest and the guys get arrested. What happens next? Here comes the angel, sets them free. There's been a miracle. But now they're proclaiming the gospel again the next day. They haven't been stopped. So this is where the humor in the story is, right? The court convenes and it's like, oh, the guys aren't in the prison. Where did they go? We can't find them. All right, we've, we've got them. We've rearrested them. And they give this stern warning. You've got to stop preaching in the name of, the, of this man, Jesus. You've got to stop. And what happens now? This is the climax because Peter and the apostles answer and say, we obey God, not men. And they boldly share the gospel once more with the religious leaders who are enraged and want to put them to death. And so we're hanging in this moment. Will they live or will they die? And what breaks the tension? It's Gamaliel's speech, an unbelieving politician, but God uses him. And now the council turns and says, okay, fine, let them go. But first we're going to beat them. And so there's physical violence. They get released. And then what happens? Guess what? They're back at it, preaching the gospel. So there's a couple things to notice here. First of all, oh man, are you tired just watching that happen on the screen? If we live that out, God uses tired people. This is true in our life. It was true for them. But the key lesson again is gospel proclamation. Check it out. The beginning and the end and in the middle of the story, the apostles proclaimed the gospel. You know, recently we've gone through some strategic planning processes as as the elder board, as our pastoral staff, some of our leadership here in the church. And it's in the early phases, you know, nothing's in, in concrete yet because we know we've got a lead pastor coming. So can't wait to share that work with Pastor Josh and let him bring his leadership imprint to that as we look to the future. But as as we look at the gospel proclamation, one thing that came out so clearly and unanimously for Northland Church and who we are is proclaiming the gospel is central for us. That is one of our anchors. It always has been. It always will be. And that's not going anywhere. Amen to that. I'm grateful. Praise God. Yeah, I'm grateful for the legacy of this church. And as we look to the future, the centrality of the gospel. And what do we see when we look to the climax in the action? Even under the threat of death, there's no worse threat that we can face in this life. The apostles proclaimed Jesus and what he's done, and they did not back down. So let's look at one more thing in this story, and this will lead us to our first lesson today. Check out what these guys walked through. They went to prison. They were deprived of sleep. They got yelled at. Nobody really likes that. They were caught up in national politics, which side is going to win the argument under the threat of death, and then they were physically harmed. Don't forget that. They were whipped before they were released. And then if we were to keep reading, you see it says church drama. What's that about? Well, in the book of Acts, after the story that we just finished reading today, they go back to the church community, and there's no happy fellowship potluck to welcome them home. In fact, the church is in conflict, and now they've got to step right into that. And so in the midst of all of this, what are these guys doing? Well, lesson number one for us to take home is this. Christians count the cost for Christ. Christians count the cost for Christ. That was a high cost to pay that they paid. They didn't die. Many of them would eventually die as martyrs, but God rescued them there. But they were willing to pay that price for the gospel. And as we share what Jesus has done... We are not surprised by opposition that we may face or by difficulties it may bring in our lives. You know, we've been so blessed for so many decades in this nation with a context of religious freedom, but that is eroding rapidly, and it may not always be the case. 
In other countries, it's certainly not. I was just in Turkey with leaders from 26 different nations a couple of weeks ago, uh, Christian leaders, and I was asking some of them, or they were sharing, you know, where they work, and they would use code words. Like, they'd say a place, and I'm like, I haven't heard of that place. And, and someone would say, oh, that's because if they say where they work out loud, you know, someone could hear, it would put their life at risk. It would put their ministry at risk. They can't really share. And I go, man, that's so humbling in our context and the freedoms that we have here. But, you know, even here, we're sometimes complacent in the idea that, okay, this is a Christian nation. Whatever that may have meant in the past, whatever it might mean now. And I, I want us, church family, to live not under a false sense of security, but rather to live in reality. And here's the reality. More so than a Christian nation, we now live in Babylon. We are exiles in Babylon, and and that is not a message of doom and gloom, like let's go hide in a bunker and just hope we can make it till Jesus comes back. No, it's just a dose of reality to say this culture cuts against the grain of the Christian faith, and if we are expressing authentic Christian hope, you can think of many areas where that cuts against the grain of culture. It's countercultural, and there is sometimes not a lot of love for that perspective. You know, I I said a comment the other day um, to one of the people I really look to in the faith, faith, and I said, you know, well, well, America's a majority Christian nation, and he looked at me funny, and he said, there's never been a majority Christian nation on planet Earth. (laughs) For the history of the church, you know, the census box where people check, that may say something, but in terms of active faith in Jesus, the, the road is narrow. That has never been a majority. Let's not expect it to be, but let's still live faithfully. You know, I want to show us a picture of the world. Check this out. Here's a picture of planet Earth. And, and what you'll notice is this, you know, little white circle on there. What is that circle? Well, here's what's amazing. More people live inside that circle than outside of it. Look at the size of the circle. Look at the size of the Earth. That's where the people are, right there. And what's inside that circle? Well, of course, you've got India. You've got China. You've also got Indonesia, which many people don't know is the most populous majority Muslim nation on planet Earth, right inside that circle. So look, if you add this up, you know, separate from that circle, think about this. India, China, and Muslim-majority nations. Just those three categories alone, that's well beyond half of the world population that live in places where the Christian faith, if that's what you profess, can limit your career prospects, get you ostracized from your family, in some cases even harmed or killed. This is a reality even today and even in real time. You know, India used to be a bit more open. They had a governmental change, and now there's anti-conversion laws, which are being used as anti-Christian laws, and the stories coming out are very challenging for what the church is facing there. In China, you know, today is February 27th, 2022, and this afternoon, you or I could get on a Zoom call with a brother or sister in mainland China, and we could have a Zoom conversation about the Bible biblical training, and that would technically be legal. It's frowned upon, but it's legal. Two days from now, March 1st, illegal. There's a new law hitting the books. You can't do that anymore under the legal system of China. That's India, China. That's almost three billion people under those two legal systems we just named. And we understand the challenges in many of the other contexts I shared. It's not just in far-flung places either. Right here in North America, Canada has a new law as of January of this year where any person teaching that heterosexual relationships are morally better or preferable to homosexual relationships 
and convincing people about that, that's considered a myth, and that is prosecutable under the statutes of Canadian law as of today. One thing that happened, so yeah, biblical morality, the the God-given, beautiful, and joyful picture of human sexuality in Scripture is now contrary to the law of the land in Canada. 4,000 pastors stood up after this law was passed in Canada and in the U.S. and preached a biblical vision for human sexual flourishing in violation of that Canadian law, but to say the gospel will not be stopped by any governmental power that may be. Isaiah called this out a long time ago. Chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, he said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. So church family, we see this in multiple areas of light in our culture today, don't we, where something that is evil, something that is harmful to human flourishing is held up by the culture around us and said, this is good, you should praise this, you should celebrate this, and yet we know as people who have the truth of God, that's destructive, and we may be persecuted for our perspective as time goes on. But you know what? Again, it's not doom and gloom, let's go hide. It's an encouragement to shine. Remember Moses said in in the psalm that Moses wrote, he said, teach us to number our days. And so the church has been growing in the face of persecution for 2,000 years. And you and I get 70, 80 years if we're blessed. A very short window on planet Earth to shine brightly for King Jesus against the darkness and let the truth of his gospel go forward. And our call, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is to do that faithfully. Amen? So it sounds impossible. But the Christian perspective is indeed a minority one. And our question that we have to wrestle with is in light of that reality, how do we build and sustain a subculture within the larger culture that that builds the faith, that passes it on to future generations where Northland Church and our community here in Central Florida, man, I can get plugged into this community and no matter what's happening in the world around us, even in the United States or Canada, we are a place that worships and lifts high the name of Jesus and encourages one another in that. I have some provocative questions I was wrestling with over this, especially as a parent to other parents. I don't have a right answer on these, but if we're not asking these kinds of questions, we're, we're missing it. What if we were to say no to social media? Are we prepared to do that for us or for our kids? Especially in light of the research that's been coming out about how harmful it is to mental health. We've all experienced that. Did you know the number one demographic for suicide in the USA right now is middle school girls? It's the challenges that exist through these environments that are coming forward in our culture today. What about saying no to the iPad or phones or other devices that no 12 or 13-year-old should have unfettered access to? But our culture says, yeah, just go for it. Just do it. Or this is a challenging one. Remember, God uses tired people. I'm preaching to myself here. But what about spending our evenings reading Christian books as a family material that's going to disciple us instead of vegging out and watching whatever Disney Plus or Netflix wants to disciple us with. Because I promise you, they're not coming from a gospel-centered worldview. So let's prepare our hearts by training in righteousness for what's coming right here and right now because Christians count the cost for Christ. So that's lesson number one. Let's look at lesson number two together. What do we take out of Acts chapter five? It's this, seek the inner miracle first. Seek the inner miracle first. 
Now, so often we have circumstances in our life that are, that are obvious, that are big challenges, and we want them fixed. And we cry out to God, you know, think about your health and these mortal bodies we have that decay and struggle. We want to be healed of whatever is afflicting us. We have relationships that we want healed. We may have financial circumstances. God, please deliver us. And we cry out to him. And let me tell you, that's good. Our Heavenly Father wants to know where we are. He wants to hear those prayers. And many times he will give us a miracle in our circumstances. That's a good thing. But often he is also silent. And I want to encourage you today that if you've been crying out to him, looking for that miracle, saying, God, why hasn't it come? He hasn't abandoned you. He's not unable to hear you. But he may be working an inner miracle in you where you can have joy in the midst of the fire, where your anchor is not dependent on your circumstances being perfect, but the transformation that the Holy Spirit is doing inside of your heart and your life. If you think about our story here today, right, what happened? The apostles were imprisoned. And then God gave them an outer, external miracle. The angel comes and the prison doors open up. Man, that's unbelievable. But then they get arrested again, and they get whipped across their backs before they're set free to go preach some more. And can you imagine being one of those guys, and you're, you're, maybe you're asleep, and it's a month later, and you turn over in bed, and you hit the wrong spot, and you go, oh, man, it still hurts, where I was whipped across my back. And then you go, God... I, you, you can send an angel to set me free from the prison cell, but could you have stopped the lashes that I'm going to bear on my body for the rest of my life? And yet in their lives, God had done the inner work because they rejoiced and they praised him even in the midst of that struggle. So the inner miracle is to face the storms of life with a peaceful and joyful heart and to testify to the lordship of Jesus no matter what may happen to me. So church, I know... I know this is a heavy message. I feel it myself, too. You know, one of my prayers to the Lord as I was getting ready to to preach this out of Acts 5, and the the text is speaking to me as it speaks to us, and I I prayed, Lord, just because I'm preaching on this doesn't mean you have to make me live it out in the next couple of months. Like, if I can, you know, I'm I'm okay with not suffering, Lord, but okay, we're, we're ready for whatever comes. This is a heavy message. But I want to give you one of my honest prayers to the Lord as, as I was getting this message ready. I was really struggling with, like, God, how does it actually work? Like these apostles, all those orange stars on the screen, all the stuff they lived through, right? Like, how can they really do that and yet still have the joy of the Lord and still rejoice? And what I felt the Lord speak back to my heart was this, you know, if your goal in life is to be comfortable, and actually the the God of your heart, if you're honest with yourself, is comfort. Like, we want to be comfortable, we want life to be easy, and that's what I truly worship. But then also, I'm a follower of Jesus, and so I want to glorify God and follow Jesus. And now, all of a sudden, I'm I'm in my life, I'm following Jesus, and it's leading me to persecution, or I'm suffering, or I'm struggling. It's making me uncomfortable. Now I'm a man of two minds, right? Because I want to follow Jesus, but the honest God of my life is comfort, and I'm going, I I don't know which way to go, and I'm miserable because I'm caught up in it. But the alternative is this. What if Jesus Christ has become the true and undying treasure of my heart and my life, and no matter what, he is it, and I'm pursuing him with my whole heart, and I will face any discomfort, I will face any hardship because of the greater goal of glorifying and knowing Jesus Christ, my Savior. And that is the answer to the mystery of the inner miracle and how we can have joy in those trials of life that we face. 
So if we recognize the treasure Christ is, my prayer is that we do it as we go from here. We will suffer any wrong, endure any persecution, face the storms of this life, knowing that that eternal hope is, in, is pure, it is undefiled, it is unshakable, it's already in heaven. It's at, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father, and he's our salvation, and nothing can change that, nothing that can happen in our lives right here today. So church, I want to end on this. One of my very, very best friends in life is up in New York City, and um, they lost their baby yesterday. Uh, and I, I got the news, and this baby boy, through the journey of pregnancy, had some health challenges they had identified in the womb. And, and so there were lots of people praying for that external miracle of, of life and survival. But, you know, through their journey, for months, every healthcare provider they spoke with encouraged them to terminate the pregnancy early. And they even had scare tactics used on them. Like, you know, if you carry this baby to term and they're born, they may have some handicaps that are a challenge for you. This might mess up your careers. You've got to think about this. You really need to terminate this pregnancy. And living in Babylon, right, where the, the perspective of this culture cuts against the Christian faith. And, and they were steadfast in their conviction that their son deserved his chance. He's made in the image of God. And as believers, we don't destroy human lives. Rather, we lift up and celebrate the weak. Amen. So they were faithful and joyful even through the fire. And as I just shared, their son didn't make it. The external miracle did not come. And yet the internal miracle had been done because I want to read you a message that my friend sent yesterday morning. He, he wrote this message on the day that he lost his son. He said, I love you guys. Micah Enoch was born at 2.55 a.m. at three pounds. We had 40 minutes with him. And then he went to be with the Lord. We named him Micah, which means who is like Yahweh, because, because we stand in awe of God's wisdom to work all things for the good of his elect and his power to raise us up with glorified bodies at the last day. And he, he told me this. He said, man, I'm so in awe of my wife and so much more in love with her than ever before because she is still praising God this morning even though he called Micah home. So if you would think of them and pray for them, I would be so grateful, church family, in their journey, in their steadfast faithfulness to Christ. And, and I hope and pray it's an encouragement to you. We may face challenges in this life, we all do. As we're faithful to Jesus Christ and we proclaim the gospel, we may face opposition and it may create challenges in our lives. And yet in those fires and in those storms, the Holy Spirit will never abandon us or leave us. So let's worship together again as we close out this service and look to the future with great hope, even in the fires of this life. Thank you, church family.